Hey, listeners, welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Megan, and my partner in podcast here is Marta. Howdy. 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 Um, this I was is the- to just like not say my name and just say howdy. <laughs> <laughs> You're, this is my pod- partner in podcasting. Howdy. Um, yeah. So we are a podcast that talks about psychology, psychological studies. We try and apply um, psychology to our, our day-to-day lives as if it didn't apply already. Uh, and today, Marta has quite an episode in store for us. So I'm going to pass it over to you and let's dive in. Gracias. Uh, so today we're talking about um, being deemed not criminally responsible for crime or unfit to stand trial. Most of my focus was on not criminally responsible unfit to stand trial got in there in there as well yeah Yeah. fair enough so i'm going to start off by talking about what needs to happen in order to be deemed unfit to stand trial or like to even have it be on the table yeah Yeah, just like the concepts involved in it so uh, all, all of our episode also will be focusing on the canadian justice system oh only good note yeah um i didn't cover anything about the states and the reason that i did that is one we're canadian so i mean i want to learn more sense yeah my own country yeah um and two is i didn't want to cover many different legal systems and that sort of thing because then it gets wishy-washy i just wanted to stay concrete in canada um so if you guys have i guess problems with that then or like it would be kind of maybe listeners as you're having a listen if you're not in canada um if you're in another country make some notes on how yours differs let us know yeah yeah that'd that'd be be interesting to know um so the first thing that uh is the first concept that we need to think about is appreciation versus knowing in with regards to a crime so in order to appreciate that you're doing something bad you must first have the knowledge yeah um the act of knowledge is just base awareness so this is the act of receiving information without any more thinking Uh, i made a note for myself here to compare it to how we learn things in school so we get information thrown at us but it's not necessarily we don't necessarily like understand it or appreciate the information yeah Yeah, the meaning for the of the information um so somebody can know that they're committing a crime but not appreciate what it means so according to the canadian criminal justice code appreciation requires a degree of mental analysis on the part of the accused while knowing connotes a bare awareness but not necessarily an understanding or analysis of knowledge or experience so if somebody just has knowledge but not awareness then that puts them into the territory where they can be deemed not criminally responsible Mm -hmm. what's interesting though is that in in the criminal justice system everybody is assumed to be sane unless proven otherwise or unless established otherwise and you need to have a lot of evidence backing up that the person was not sane at the time of the actual crime and the judge can't order an assessment of sanity if nobody if none of the lawyers uh, requested it oh yeah so if neither party requests it if the judge is like oh this person's nuts they can't order it so interesting yeah and then also like if if both parties are opposed to it like, if it's been brought up, the question of sanity, but both parties are opposed to it, also the judge can't bring it up. Huh. So if nobody brought it up, judge can't bring it up. If um, judge, if both people are opposed to it, then he can't bring it up either. So the judge has no power there. Um, and so that's where, like, lawyers' decisions to, with what defense you want to go with, really matters. Hmm. Because they can say, like, oh, we're going to pursue not criminally responsible um, or not. And then if you don't, then... Nobody else will be like, oh, you were crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, And then timing. So when you pull up the defense of NCR, you can actually do it any time during the course of a trial, including after a finding of guilt. So if you've been deemed guilty of a crime, you can still... You could, like, use NCR in your appeal or... Um, you can, it's after finding of guilt, but before conviction. Okay. So there's, like, a window of time before you're, like, formally convicted... Uh, then you can just say like, oh, okay, I was insane, actually. <laughs> and then they have to prove that, but yeah. then you, but you can bring it up at that time. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So NCR is not criminally responsible. So I want to get, before we go further, I want to get some of the acronyms down because I think that like not criminally responsible is a mouthful. So I feel like it'd be a lot easier to just say NCR throughout the <laughs> rest of this episode. So what other acronyms do we need to know? NCR, we know... Um, is there like NCR 
MD, I think, is one, and U ST, ST or UTS, UST, ST. Yeah, I just noticed that I got it. I wrote UTS everywhere, but it's UST. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so officially, the so there's NCRMD, which is not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. we need to know that yeah. acronym because I'm not saying that multiple times. Yeah, so it's NCRMD, but for short, it's very frequently referred to as just NCR. Uh, and then there's UST, which is unfit to stand trial. Okay. So I'll be saying NCR and UST, and you guys will just know what we talking about. What I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the explanation you need to be deemed um you need to be deemed to have knowledge but not appreciation of yeah. the crime yeah. yeah um well you don't even need to be deemed to have knowledge but like you can have knowledge without having appreciation okay okay you need to be deemed to have appreciation yeah to be responsible yes for the okay. crime yeah um and in the canadian criminal justice system one of the main ways to be deemed that is to have a mental disorder that is um that impairs you enough so that you're not conscious of your actions or so okay. that you're not aware um in the criminal justice system a mental disorder is defined as a disease of the mind uh the criminal code was written in 1985 so i guess the wording there is a little bit archaic but there's been some rejuvenation efforts uh since then which i'll bring up um, an individual charged with a criminal offense who has been found to suffer from a mental disorder by a mental health professional is not necessarily exempt from criminal responsibility. So mm. just because you've committed a crime and you have a diagnosis of schizophrenia or yeah. bipolar or whatever doesn't necessarily mean that you are getting NCR yeah. because there's still a lot more proof that has to go into it. But it means like bringing it to the table is... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is permitted, but you don't have to have a diagnosis in order to bring it to the table. Okay. So so it could just be like, uh, I think I have this thing, or my lawyers think I have this thing, and yeah. then you can get assessed. Yeah. So uh, Section 16 of the Canadian Criminal Code is the one that covers this, is the one that covers NCR in general, uh, and it says that no person should be convicted of a crime if he or she was legally insane at the time of the offense. So you're still... Um, you're still guilty, like you're still found guilty, but you're not actually convicted of mm -hmm. the crime if you're found NCR. Um, criminal responsibility is only appropriate when the actor is a discerning moral agent capable of making choices between right and wrong. Um, and so how do we find whether these people are discerning moral agents? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so as I mentioned, it's usually made while suffering from a mental disorder or some like it, the crime is usually committed while suffering from a mental disorder and that's one of the main ways but it's not the only way so there are people who have been found ncr who do not have a formal psychiatric diagnosis can i make a guess yeah drugs uh drugs is actually one of the diagnoses oh that's well accepted. never mind never mind then <laughs> no that's okay that was that was a good guess there's just like this tiny little fraction i think it's like less than a percent of the people who have been found uh, not criminally responsible or unfit to stand trial who don't have anything like who are just insane at the time of the crime. Like they successfully proved that they were insane at the time of the crime, but aren't actually in like they don't have a, a disorder otherwise. Yeah. yeah. So at any time during your trial, if you bring up NCR as a, de as a defense, the judge can actually deem you as not criminally responsible, but this isn't where the line ends. So the judge deems you as not criminally responsible, but then you go into a review board. You're guaranteed to be reviewed by the review board within 90 days of being found. Guilty of whatever. Yeah, guilty or not criminally responsible by the judge. Uh, and then that review board has one of three options. They can either give you an absolute discharge. So they just say like, okay, you were completely insane. You didn't know what you were doing you're not like you're off you don't have to do any you're not going to be like face the consequences yeah yeah um a conditional discharge which means that they the accused must reside in a particular place for example a group home or something like that abstain from illegal drugs and or alcohol submit drug uh submit drug testing abide by specified treatment plan report to designated persons such as a psychiatrist on a regular basis 
and refrain from possessing possessing weapons that's conditional discharge but it's not necessarily all of those things so it's just to the recommendation of the review board okay um or you can be placed into detention so that's in custody in a hospital or in a secure facility um then once you're given over to detention it's the hospital administrator has the power to increase or decrease restrictions on you as the accused yes so anybody who has been deemed ncr always has the possibility of like being out in the public. So if the hospital administrator thinks that you can go out for day trips or field trips or whatever, then you just go. So mm-hmm. it's not the same as prison. Like these people are not usually locked down or at least not in Canada. Yeah. So the review board that I'm talking about is a specialized tribunal chaired by a judge or an individual qualified for judicial appointment and comprised of at least four other members. Something that I really like is that one of the members must be entitled under the laws of the particular province to practice psychiatry. So this is psychology actually in law. Yeah. Being good. um, The tribunal has to have like if you're going to be talking about not criminally responsible because of a mental disorder, probably you should have somebody qualified to diagnose a mental disorder (laughs) on that tribunal. Yeah. And so the review board goes over like a series of tests and searches for the evidence that the person was actually insane at the time of the crime. Because you can have, you can be diagnosed with schizophrenia, you can be bipolar, etc. Doesn't necessarily mean that you were insane at the time of the crime. Yeah, Um, And I'm using the word insane because that's the word that was used fairly often in the literature that I read, but if that's offensive, I'm sorry. Apologies, yeah. Yeah. And so the review board can actually reverse um, a decision by a judge. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So So like if a judge finds you not criminally responsible, but then the tribunal reviews you and says, no, they were fully aware and responsible at the time we can't use NCR in in this case. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, in 1999, uh, the Supreme Court of Canada decided it was a, one of those landmark cases because the Canadian justice system works similarly to the U.S. ones where we work on... Uh, What's happened in previous yeah, scenarios. You precedent. use that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it decided that if the accused does not pose a significant threat to the safety of the public, the court or review board must order an absolute discharge, which is interesting. Um, This does not create the presumption of dangerousness. There must be clear evidence of a significant risk to the public in order to detain. Yeah. So um, it's funny because in 1999, the Supreme Court was already challenging stigma that we still hold today. Like 19 years later that we think that people are who are NCR are immediately or like automatically just dangerous. Yeah. I wonder like what goes into that. Like, is it the magnitude of the crime like or probably a lot of things would go into it right like if you were deemed ncr in a murder case that's really different from being deemed ncr for like destruction of property yeah yeah what's really interesting that you said magnitude of crime because that's the next thing that i was going to talk about uh the principle of proportionality which is where um you are put away for the like for the amount of time that matches the magnitude of your crime that doesn't apply to ncr oh yeah so the severity of your treatment the like severity of your it's called a disposition so that's what the review board decides to put you through or whatever um it's it it doesn't have anything to do with the magnitude of your crime so if you're really really crazy but you just robbed a bank and like didn't kill anybody you might get a longer term in detention than somebody who had murdered somebody, but like it, they were sleepwalking and. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know, like on average, based on the studies that I looked at later on, on average, it does kind of match it, but there's no rule like that. So there's no rule that like, if you murder, if it's first degree murder, it's life or whatever. So it's no. Well, you couldn't get first degree murder with NCR. True, 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 true. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Cool. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so you're held in there indefinitely. You're on this treatment plan indefinitely. And review boards must hold a hearing every single year to review your disposition. So you're permitted or entitled to being reviewed every year. Sort of similar to parole. But that's interesting that it's yearly because parole isn't always. No, I don't think so. 
Isn't there like 10 years without parole and then... Yeah, it's like whatever your sentence is. So like yeah. you, yeah, you might get um, life in prison, which is maybe 25 years in Canada or whatever, but like no chance of parole until 15 years or something. Yeah. 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 So with NCR, that doesn't, huh. doesn't apply. It's just every year you get reviewed again and again and again. Probably for the best if that's the... Yeah. Yeah. And they can change your, they can change your status. So if you were originally on like a conditional, then they can put you into full detention, vice versa hmm. and move you out, et cetera. Cool. Which is cool that there's that psychiatrist on board. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then we have unfit to stand trial. So UST, just switching gears a little bit. This is if the accused is not able to participate in his or full, his or her full answer and defense on account of mental disorder. So let's say somebody committed a crime. Uh, again, let's use murder, but they lost their mind right after doing it. Yeah. Then they're unable to stand trial. They're unfit to stand trial. I want to ask before I forget, um, if it's unfit to stand trial, as far as the judge intervening at that point, like I know for NCR, the judge can't bring it up unless the lawyers bring it up, that whole deal. Is it true with this? Is the same true with unfit to stand trial? No. Okay. Actually, it's different. I'm thinking of a particular case in Canada. Um, I am not going to remember her first name or the right pronunciation of her last name, but Bizar, I think is how you say her last name. The woman, she um, she stabbed another woman. Uh, it was a pregnant woman was stabbed Fuck. in the Shoppers Drug Mart at King and Young. Toronto. Um, yeah, in Toronto. And it was around Christmas time. She was like out doing Christmas shopping on her lunch break and was attacked in the Shoppers Drug Mart. Wait a second. I think, I feel like... Well, it's an interesting one. because Oh, you've 100% you've heard of it. Um, it's a really fascinating case and like NCR definitely comes up but I don't think they are even going forward with NCR in that case but unfit to stand trial is definitely a thing because she has the the accused has had a lot of difficulty since that um, time like just being in detention like kind of awaiting trial sort of thing um, and and she's like she's really struggling with her mental health it's quite clear that hmm. she's she needs help um, whatever the outcome is going to be um, so anyway I just wondered if the judge because uh, reading about the case and kind of hearing about what transpired I would hope that the judge is able to intervene at that point and just say like listen we're not gonna this whole right to a speedy trial is not gonna happen here we need yeah. to yeah a very quick update for you listeners regarding this case just two weeks before we released this episode rohini Bizar was found not criminally responsible for the fatal stabbing of rosemary Juner in december 2015 Ontario Superior Court Justice Judge John McMahon determined there was overwhelming evidence that Bizar suffered from schizophrenia at the time of the stabbing and was incapable of knowing that the killing was morally and legally wrong. If you're interested in learning more about this case, there is a lot of information available right now as the ruling was quite recent. I also highly recommend listening to the Nighttime Podcast. Well, really just in general, but in particular, the episode that covers this case. Unfit to stand trial is kind of to protect the accused. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's defined as, I'll give you the definition and this will explain how it gets brought up. So it's defined as being unable on account of mental disorder to conduct defense at any stage of the proceedings before a verdict or during or to be able to instruct your counsel to do anything in particular. Uh, you're also unable to understand the nature or object of the proceedings. You're unable to understand the possible consequence of the proceedings and you're unable to communicate with counsel effectively at all. Yeah. So you can't instruct your counsel to say, hey, I want an unfit to stand trial. Like I want this deferred mm -hmm. for now. Um, it's something that just happens yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. And just like with not criminally responsible, the person is then diverted to a review board. Uh, neither the courts nor the review boards though, have the option to give an absolute discharge in the case of unfit to stand trial. The person still has to stand yeah. trial, um, but they can defer indefinitely. So, they can just say, like, this person's unfit to stand trial, but they never will be fit to stand trial. So then they get detained or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this is called a stay of proceedings. So it's if the person is unlikely to ever become fit or the accused does not pose a significant threat to the society 
or safety of the public, or it also has to be in the interests of the proper administration of justice. So Mm -hmm. if deferring this person indefinitely blocks some sort of administration of justice, you can't defer them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Wow. That's complicated. Unfit to stand trial. It is is complicated. I think I follow all of it, but that's... That's complicated. Yeah, I'm the glad just, I don't have any of those decision-making responsibilities oh in my life. Jeez, yeah. the gist is just like, can this person make decisions and communicate for themselves? No, unfit. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good summary. S- yeah. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned like, I'm glad I don't have to make any of these decisions. Do you know about any other NCR cases or unfit to stand trial cases um, in Canada? Yes, I can think of the. Vincent Lee. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have that guy listed. Um That's the only one that I can think of off the top of my head where like and I probably am thinking of it because I think it was successful. No, there was another guy. Uh there wasn't there a guy out west who I think he killed like his whole family and cuz he was having a a psychotic breakdown. Huh. I, didn't, I can't remember his name right now. I don't know. Um, it's a really sad story. Do you want me to tell you all the ones that I've collected? Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> um, so, as you guys know, we're kind of true crime junk fa- fanatics. Not yeah. fanatics. Yeah, I guess. Uh, we're very interested in true crime. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably why we keep having crime related linked. episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, the big one is Nerlin Sarmiento. That's the one that I did, like... I got a lot of information on, so I'll just tell you all about her situation. She's a 32-year-old Edmonton mother uh, who confessed to doctors and family members that she had thoughts of harming her children. She was admitted to the hospital several times, prescribed medication, discharged, and had her mother to help her care for her children as kind of like insurance. Yeah. Didn't matter that she had her mother because on February 12, 2013... Uh, She sent her 10-year-old daughter to school and then forced her 7-year-old son into the bathroom where she held him under the water until he stopped breathing. She didn't deny murdering her son, but she attempted the NCR plea. What's really frustrating is the judge found her not criminally responsible on September 12th, but we don't know what the review board said. And this was in in 2013. So I can't find any information about her. That's, I've never heard that story. That's so sad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was like this huge uproar. And it seems to be the case with every single big NCR case that like it actually, the public hates it. The public hates it when people are found NCR, which is interesting. Well, it is interesting because yeah, it does feel like a, like you want to see justice, whatever that is supposed to look like. Um, But that's really tragic that she, she like sought help before. Yeah. And it wasn't helpful. Yeah. That's really and I was sad. reading, I was reading like the court decision on it and it was, um, there's a lot of evidence that she was like actually insane right before, like she tried to kill herself the day before. Oh my, uh, yeah. She, um, she thought that she was doing something altruistic by murdering her son because she thought she was helping him, uh, saving him from this life, whatever. So she, like, there's a lot of evidence that she was actually insane at the time of, committing the act and she did try to seek help that Um, is so heartbreaking wow and i'm gonna tell you guys some statistics about seeking help uh in a little bit but other famous ncr cases so sean clifton he reportedly stabbed a stranger outside of a shopping center in cornwall ontario he was declared ncr and received eight years of treatment at a forensic psychiatric facility after which he was released there's a documentary i'm pretty sure it's about sean clifton and ncr by cbc i'm pretty sure yeah um and just the article that's written around it to support it is just so clickbaity and it just like reinforces the stigma of ncr and it's like all about the um woman who got stabbed and how she's like afraid and of course she is she's afraid that he's coming back out into the public and they just like make it sound like oh there's no way he could have ever recovered because he was like insane and now he's getting released but if you actually watch the documentary which i did because apparently i had an hour to spare it's it's interesting and it tells you like they actually go give credence to the amount of work that he had to put in to get better or yeah or to get to a place where he's not a danger to society um in alberta there was matthew de grude uh he killed five university students at a party i don't know if you remember that it was like i don't remember that 
I feel like 2014, I didn't write down a year here, apparently. Um, and he was found NCR. No, I do remember that. Of course. Um, his family tried, like his dad considered getting a yeah, mental no, health Yeah, no, I do remember stay. that. That's a really awful story. Mm-hmm. They were all celebrating like the end of the school yeah. year and whatever. And he just like. Yeah, he and there were like weird red flags leading up to it at the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's an up. That was a really upsetting one. And all his Not friends, like, the rest of them aren't. Yeah. <laughs> They're all pretty upsetting. All his friends said that like he was losing it before, so um, he got NCR successfully. He pled and got it. Uh, in Manitoba, there was Vincent Lee, the guy yeah. that you mentioned. He beheaded a Greyhound bus passenger in two thousand eight. There were other people on the bus. There were a ton of other people on the bus. Who witnessed this, which yeah. is insane. Successfully pled NCR. Um, and he is being or has been released. He's allowed to do unsupervised day trips yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's not yeah. released, but he's like, like, he's still in treatment. That's a really frustrating story because if I recall it correctly, he, like, he, um, I don't remember what his um, diagnosis was, but he was off medication. Like he was somebody, Schizophrenia. yeah, he was somebody who like had been diagnosed. He had medication. Um, I feel like I don't want to point fingers, but I feel like his family was not supportive of the diagnosis and treatment of it. And mm-hmm. that is part of what led him to not be on medication at the time. Yeah. 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 And that's from what I remember. That's exactly yeah. the case. Because, like, my note here is that he said he was hearing voices. Yeah. NCR. Um, in Alberta, there was Trevor Kluschinski. Don't know how to pronounce that name. Uh, in 2012, he was accused of beating and strangling to death a retired RCMP officer, successful oh. N- NCR. Uh, in Quebec, there is Guy Turcotte, uh, former... Be Guy. Hmm? Guy, Guy Turcotte. Ooh, yeah, probably. En français. Um, pardonnez-moi. <laughs> Uh, he is a former cardiologist who stabbed two, his two children to death in 2011. He originally got NCR by the judge, but then the review board overturned it. Man, I do not remember that. So it was not successful NCR. The name looks so familiar, but I don't remember the case. Anyway. I remember the case because I was like, oh, cardiologist. Like, shouldn't you be saving lives? Um, the next one, and if you guys of know course. anything about true crime, you've probably you heard this about one. this guy in Ontario, Luca Rocco Magnata. Um, he was charged with the death and dismemberment of a Chinese exchange student. Fucking terrible crime. Um, Heinous. Yeah. In 2014, it was huge here. Huge. Uh, not successful NCR. He tried to plead insanity. Um, That's one where I'm really glad he didn't get NCR. Yeah. And then something that is... The most recent, in 2016, uh, I'm going to butcher this name. Do you want to take a stab at it? Ayanel Hassan Ali. Oh, dude, so much confidence. Like, we're just, <laughs> yes, we're keeping that. He went on a stabbing spree at a military center um, in Toronto. And he was actually, it, this happened in 2016, and the judge found him as NCR. And he was held in... Um, or actually, I don't know if it, if he if he was found immediately as NCR, but he was held in a treatment facility. And only this May of 2018 was he actually like confirmed NCR wow. and has been passed to the review board. But it also infuriating, infuriatingly, I can't find any information about it. So he was passed to the review board in May with a judge's decision of NCR. So that's been more than 90 days now. Hmm. Because it's. I wonder. Um. At that point, like. Uh, about you having tr- trouble finding more information about it. I wonder if it's like this isn't public record, whereas, you know, in the same case, some things would be public record where other things wouldn't be. So perhaps the review board, whatever happens there until the decision is made, maybe it's not public record to say, you know, he's meeting on this day or, you know, uh, these mm-hmm. are the individual decisions or the discussion is going on right now. Like, I don't know, maybe it's not maybe it's not accessible until everything is passed. Well, um, in this case and in the woman earlier that I had mentioned that um, drowned her son, it's within 90 days of the court passing an NCR, the review board has to make a decision. decision. Interesting. So if the judge passes, like if the judge says NCR, the review board has to make a decision. And I've been able, I'm pretty sure I found the review, like the review board documents for 
some of the other cases, which is why I'm under the impression that I'd be able to find it. But one of the things is um, the reason that it frustrates me is because all of these thing, all of these people I found on like CBC or I was going to say, where are you looking? I would expect CBC or like Globe and Mail or I would expect yeah. it to be accessible there. Yeah. So then shouldn't we be following like it's just it's media sensationalizing again but like not actually following up because like the media can find this well, information. I, well i was gonna say on the note of the media there are other cases that have been maybe more high profile and mm-hmm. have got more attention like it was in may and since then we had the, true, true 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 the guy who the car who, the, the guy van. who killed all those people in the van we've had the whole business with danforth um, danforth yeah. shooting Oh, yeah, the Danforth shooting. I was going to say Bernardo being up for... uh, (laughs) And also um, Terry Lynn McClintock, her... um, She was involved in in, uh, murdering a little girl. And that landscaper dude. Oh, fuck, of course, Bruce MacArthur. Yeah. Maybe that's why this is not getting the attention because we've just thought of, like, how many other cases that have been really public right now just in in the public eye. Yeah, well... As far as NCR goes. No, no. It doesn't mean that these other things should not be reported on, but maybe no, that's you're totally just right. you're totally the right. attention. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, having said all of that, just rhyming them off over here, that's a lot of violent criminals that, that, you know, in some cases were successful and others were not. But, like, that's a lot of violent crimes to go up for NCR. Is it always violent? No. Like, is it always to that degree? So, no. They're not all like that. They're not all violent offenders and individuals with mental illness just as a rule are actually more likely to be victims of violence rather than perpetrators of violence. Um, This is a direct quote pulled from Dr. Ann Crocker from the Department of Psychiatry at McGill University. And she's also been a huge part of spearheading one of the studies that I'll be covering later on. Interesting. Um, And what's interesting about NCR specifically and what frustrates me that about like the news sensationalizing it is that there's already a stigma around mental illness on its own and there's a stigma around criminality add those two together and the stigma that you have for like NCR is bigger than the sum of some of its parts yeah so it's not just like stigma with mental illness stigma with criminality it's just like somebody has said that they were insane and so they're not culpable for this crime and that that just like gets people riled up yeah well and i think it's the idea of and it's all part of the justice system but it's the idea that like if somebody is found as ncr then like that's not justice to whatever the crime was like if somebody was killed and the perpetrator does successfully get ncr then that's an unjust um thing because like they're getting away with yeah they're getting away with it or like the the crime they did isn't validated or like it's as if they're like life isn't worth anything if the person who ended it but at the same time like i don't know not to get into any sort of a rant but like i think at the point that somebody's died justice is gone and like you kind of have to make the best out of what you're left with and if it is truly a situation where they were not criminally responsible it's it's uh yeah it's it's not it's unjust that this person died but it would also be unjust to punish someone who can't who shouldn't be yeah yeah it's like yelling at a kid for doing something that they didn't know was wrong yeah yeah it's um sorry no that's it's it's an interesting topic because it's like how do you determine if this person like how do you decide that this person doesn't deserve to be punished like yeah yeah so anyway messy there's a couple myths about NCRs that I want to clear up before I get into like the studies and the numbers, etc. Um, so myth number one is that almost anyone can claim that they have a mental disorder and just use NCR in their defense. Technically, yes, anyone can use NCR as their defense, but there are so many roadblocks to actually being successful with using NCR as yeah. your defense because sure, you can have your mental disorder. Uh, but you have to have NCR based on the exact mental state at the time of the crime. So a good clinician or somebody who is responsible for determining NCR will seek clear corroborating information that the individual was actually suffering from psychotic illness at the time they were arrested. So it's not a matter of being a little bit depressed or anything. The The individual has to be like so mentally ill that they can't tell right from wrong. And that mm-hmm. like, that's pretty yeah. fucking ill. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, another part of that is the police reports actually have a lot to do with whether or not you're successful in an NCR. Interesting. Yeah. How so? In an NCR plea, because when the police actually pick you up, they explain your disposition, right? So if you're erratic, if you were like saying crazy shit and whatever. So in the example of that um, Hassan Ali, who went on a stabbing spree at the military center, Um, he was saying all sorts of craziness and there was a lot of witnesses. So they were all like, yeah, he was saying nonsensical stuff. He was saying that Allah had told him to come stab everybody and that he was doing this for like God who was talking to him right then and there. And just like the police report corroborated all of this. And I actually read that one as well. And it's just like, they're very clearly insane and they're very clearly in a state when they get picked up. And same thing goes with a lot of the other people. I was going to say it's true of uh, Vincent Lee for sure. Yeah. Um, But it's um, funny. Luca Rocco Magnata is someone who tried for NCR and failed to. And if you look like his arrest was insanely public (laughs) and uh, like pretty clear he was not. Was it was it MFM that did a really good one about They Luca? did do a really good one yeah. about him, yeah. Yeah, because they talked all about, like, his planning and how he was trying to become famous. Oh, my God, yeah. And that, like, he took the world on a, on a um, search spree. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, in the case of Magnata, uh, he could have very well been a psychopath. Or oh, yeah. Or probably was a psychopath. And that is not actually mental illness- yeah, that he's qualifies evil. for NCR. Being evil and being mentally ill are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Also related to the Magnata uh, trial, being a psychopath, which he likely was, doesn't actually get you NCR. So yeah. it's not just any mental disorder. It has to be a psychotic one. It has yeah. to be one like schizophrenia or something where you like one get that into impairs a- your ability to make a moral judgment between right and wrong. Yeah. 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 So psychopaths, they don't they feel under- empathy, they, but they understand. They understand what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. And that psychopathy point is actually the next myth I wanted to talk about. The NCR defense is a tactic for offenders to skirt the justice system. So this is completely a myth. It's false. Just because somebody suffers from a psychotic illness, pure psychopathy or criminality alone, is not considered severe enough. Most, uh, Also, most NCR cases are still det- detained in a secure facility. Yeah. So arguably, they didn't get away with it. And then myth number three, very closely tied, is when a person is found NCR for a crime, they essentially walk free. And we know, based yeah. on the studies that we're going to look at, or I'm going to mention, um, that they don't. Majority of them actually spend their time detained. Yeah, it's just sort of like I think it's, I'm, I'm maybe not going to do the best job of articulating this, but like in any criminal trial, part of what you're doing there is like proving guilt or innocence, but also just like figuring out what happened and why. So like if you are successful in your NCR plea, that may explain why something happened or why mm-hmm. you did something, but it doesn't like it's not a get out of jail free card. Yeah. Like literally it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Totally. Um, there are, we're going to move into some numbers and some studies now. Okay. Which I'm going to try to make interesting for you guys. Okay. Um, I didn't do a lot of polishing on these things, so we're going to, I'm going to try to keep it nice and tidy, but I'm sorry. Anyway. So study number one is called the review board systems in Canada, an overview of results from the mentally disordered accused data collection study. So what happened was in 2002, uh, there was a parliamentary review of mental disorder provisions in the criminal code. So this is something that I really like to see. Mm-hmm. There's a committee on uh, justice and human rights that went over the criminal code and was like, oh, wait, hold on. This area about not criminally responsible or unfit to stand trial, like we don't have any data about it. So why are we making decisions based on no data? So they demanded that the Justice Department of Justice gets all of the other relevant agencies and departments to collaborate to get all of the data and to actually like, put things into data points because before that everything was just like written word and they didn't actually have any stats or numbers mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result of this, it took two years for them to conduct it. Um, there I'm was, actually surprised that it went that quickly. So am I. Wow. And it's actually, it's really good. As far as like stats can things that I've looked at, like this is nice and you can, it's all accessible to the public. 
I, I love me some good data. <laughs> I nerded out really hard on this. Yeah. Um, so there are seven provinces involved, not all of them, but the seven provinces were our most populous ones. And they're approximately 88% of all active cases with the review board mm-hmm. across Canada. So they were looking specifically at review, review board cases. They didn't look at criminal court cases. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they were just looking at review boards. So ones and where the, the judge board found. Yeah, I was going to say to specify that's like the tribunal of four yeah. when the judge finds NCR is. Yeah, it's a judge and four here. other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the judge had already found these people either uh, unfit to stand trial or not criminally responsible and they were being reviewed. Um, this, they took all of the decisions, they took all of the like notes that the review board had taken everything and they manually logged sociodemographic information, criminal history of the accused, offenses for which the accused was deemed USD or NCRMD, diagnoses of the accused, responses to, of the review boards, so dispositions and conditions like they they manually logged that. They manually and logged they did this. this in two years. Mm-hmm. The Guys, government of Canada. I don't know if you really really understand how much Marta and I get data entry but f me yeah that's awesome and like the thing is is these data points weren't like straight data points they created maps like um forms basically for the data entry slogs like the people who the poor people who had to do this um and it's like if this was the decision then you have to assign it to this point if this was the decision you have to assign at this point and like you have to make these decisions you have to actually look at the data i'm like jonesing hard right now yeah that's awesome yeah and they got this some- is like what marta and i do for a living in a lot of ways this is like yes. wow <laughs> yeah um and i love it when stuff like all my pleasure centers are <laughs> activated <laughs> right now i love it when like subjective information is turned into like objective like yeah. hard numbers that you can compare anyway that's awesome guys i'm sorry nerding out really yeah, fucking hard but great so this um these this study found a number of things. I'm not going to cover every single thing that it found, but I'm going to talk to you guys about a lot of stuff. So it went from 1994 to 2004, uh, or sorry, 1992 to 2004. So that's 12 years. The reason they chose 1992 is because before that there was, um, it wasn't NCR. It was called like, in, uh, fuck, it's something different, but like something about like being insane. So you're not guilty, like not guilty due to insanity. Or something oh, like that. Uh, or like insanity plea. Like it would just like. Yeah, it was but something like the different. terminology was different is yeah. what you're saying. The terminology was different and like the rules were a little bit different. So from 1992 to 2004, there's been 102% increase in the number of admissions for the review board so uh this is a result of two things one there's just more crime being committed there's just more cases in the criminal justice system so they're coming into the review board as ncrs some of them but two is the judges are making more ncr rulings so before when it used to be 1.2 cases per thousand now is 1.8 cases per thousand so just there's there's just more cases is what we're getting to Yeah. yeah so the ratios have increased and also in total there's more cases um i like to do gender comparisons so female to female versus male um in the review board 84 percent of the cases that come in are males but that's very very similar to the adult criminal court yeah. which is 83 percent. so we see equal basically equal representation an extra one percent of women come into ncr so women are maybe slightly overrepresented uh as far as age we also see quite similar Uh, demographics for age so adult criminal courts so people who are not deemed mcr when i say adult criminal court i just mean people who don't get into the review board Mm -hmm. so like aren't successful in ncr or ust Mm -hmm. um those people in average courts are 31 in ncr there or in the review board they're 35 okay so pretty similar as well um one thing i'm going to point out here because we're getting into more of the percentages is what infuriates me about these statistics and the ones in the next study is that they alternate between saying like one out of five or roughly a third or 25%. Like they, they alternate between saying like ratios and saying um, percentage percentage and that sort of thing. And it just like fucked me up. So I'll say stuff like roughly one third and then I'll say 33%. So I'll say the wording that they said and then I'll tell you the percentage. So okay. my my consistent well, is you. percentage. 
So more than half, so 57% of the accused with uh, not criminally responsible or USD have had prior criminal convictions. So people who came into the review board have been convicted before. Interesting. And didn't get into the review board before. Huh. Yeah. I think it's like roughly 50, 57%. Um, approximately one third, so 33, 33%, had one prior violent or sexual conviction. Huh. So of those 50%, 30% are violent or sexual conviction. Um, And the vast majority have never had NCR or UST findings, which I already mentioned. This study goes into a deep comparison of the percentages of people in each group of NCR and UST, and they also compare it against the types of crimes that they've committed. Um, There's a graph that I've included here, Megan, that I would like you to take a look at. Yeah, no, I'm staring at it. So what do you see? We'll share it. Um, So basically from it's comparing adult criminal court um to to review board by type of crime um so we're seeing in murder we're at five percent in the review board and zero yeah in adult criminal court you don't have to go over all of them but just the ones that stand out to you well that one stood out to me um zero made yeah major assault we're looking at 33 percent in the review board and about five percent in adult criminal court um, just it, in general, it looks like we have, uh, in sexual assault, assault, we're looking at higher percentages in review board to, uh, to adult criminal court, like pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By like 10 or 20% yeah. more. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, we'll maybe post the graph somewhere. Yeah. We should, we should share this graph. Um, and then as you see, as you go down in like severity of crimes, it starts to even out a little bit. So mm-hmm. in break and enter, it's roughly even. In Robbery. Theft, it's yeah. Yeah. So um, it's interesting that of the cases that are in like criminal court versus on the review board, there's such a different representation. So people tend to with NCR, it tends to be major assault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, assault in general what's interesting here and i'll bring this up threats was also threats and harassment yeah pretty significant yeah um i'll bring this up in my next in the next study that i bring up as well the major assault and major violence the findings from this study and the findings from the other study that i found seem to conflict and i can't explain why okay so here they're saying that um majority of the cases are violent offenders or violent offenses uh in the review board but in the next study they say that it's a very small amount so i'll like we'll cover that when we get there but i can't um uh what's the word that i'm looking for i can't get them to like correspond correlate there's a c word that i'm looking for correlate sounds right and that was me moving on a leather chair guys i didn't fart Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the things that they're being diagnosed with. So from this gigantic study from 1992 to 2004, just over half of the people, so roughly 50%, had a single diagnosis. The rest had two or more. Mm. So like 50, more than 50% of the people that are coming in to, um, that are coming in for NCR have some sort of diagnosis. And then like roughly the rest has more than one diagnosis Mm -hmm. and then there's a very small sliver of people who have no diagnoses so ncr is truly reserved for people who are mentally disordered of those people who came in 52 percent of them had schizophrenia as part of their diagnosis other than their entire diagnosis or one of many 52 percent which is wild yeah yeah 23 percent of them had other affective disorders and then the rest is a pretty even split between delusional disorders mental retardation personality disorders organic brain disorders substance abuse disorder so addiction like you mentioned um and then other there's a category that says other diagnoses but it was a pretty even split between the rest of them but the big standouts are schizophrenia and affective disorder Mm -hmm. so like bpd that sort of thing of the different types of diagnoses, none of them prefer sexual offenses. So of the types of offenses based on diagnoses, like there's a lot of really cool comparing comparison graphs here. And it's tough to explain them in words because just a graph a says, a says a thousand, a thousand words. Yeah. yeah. Right before we recorded this, Megan had nerded out really hard about like this reporting <laughs> software. So that's our mindset right now. 
It's beautiful. Uh, it, yeah. It sounds amazing. I like me a chart. Um, anyway, so usually the, it, for across all of the different diagnoses, usually the offenders are violent. The next is nonviolent offenses, so like threats or theft or whatever. And then the last one, the least preferred one, is sexual. At least that's what this study found. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The only diagnosis that kind of coincided with preference for sexual offenses was mental retardation. We can hypothesize about that. I don't want to in this episode because I didn't do any research about it, but um, even I can still, have an uneducated discussion about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to? Not right now. No, okay. we'll have a two hour long episode. That's yeah, not really? appropriate. Um, even <laughs> still, something we haven't researched at all. <laughs> exactly. Just shooting shit. Um, even still, people suffering with me- mental retardation still committed more violent acts than sexual acts, but it was like very close. I think it was like 43% versus 40. So, They were the ones who had a noticeable spike in sexual acts, but even still violence was preferred. And then the results of this study were meant to answer a number of policy and operational questions. So some findings include um, they noticed that review board caseloads have been increasing, which they know. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that was interesting is in traditional criminal justice system, the uh, Aboriginal people tend to be overrepresented. Yeah. And this doesn't carry over into the review board. But something that's important to note is that our central provinces were left out of this study. So, Interesting. like, yeah, we had the most populous provinces that we included, 88% of the overall caseload. But maybe those central ones where there are more would have a higher um, Aboriginal population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see where you're going with that. And yeah. what's nice about the study is they pointed it out themselves. So. I like to see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, nearly half of all people who are not criminally responsible uh, or unfit to stand trial have never been convicted of a prior offense or 50%. Um, so, again, they come up and say that nearly everybody that's or a large majority that have been accused have committed very serious violent offenses such as murder, attempted murder, assault whatever, whatever. And here's my note that Dr. Ann Crocker, the lady that I mentioned way earlier, um, her findings were that serious crime is less than 9% of NCR cases. So I wonder if this is because the definitions are are different or if unable to stand trial, which was included in this review review board board study, study, but maybe not in hers. Exactly. Because that is like a stark difference. But the way I looked at the data, like, because the review board study separates NCR and um, UST unfit yeah so they they actually split it out and even if like looking at the split out numbers it doesn't account for that difference mm. the other thing is that Diane uh, Diane's studies were later Dr. S- Ann Dr. yeah you're right Dr. Ann Crocker <laughs> Dr. Crocker's studies ha- were later so they were um, I think they started in 2005 or maybe 2000 but went I don't know. And Late, they did, later than the review board is yeah. where you're going. Yeah. They did different. They looked at it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, nearly 75% of those people within the review board systems have been di- diagnosed with schizophrenia or affective disorder. And this means bipolar, schizoaffective, or major depression. One in five, 20% of cases processed by the review boards are released. So they're either found fit and sent back to court or they're given an absolute discharge. So that's in the case of NCR. Oh, wow. Yeah. So 20% of cases actually. Wow. Like well, don't end up. But the two yeah. are quite different yes, in yes, their yes, results. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then almost one quarter, so 25% of cases spend at least 10 years in review board systems. Wow. And some are significantly longer. And one of the findings that they had actually that I didn't write down here was that Aboriginal um, peoples tend to take be extended as well. Um, so I have a question about that. So you said almost a quarter spend 10 years in the review board, but I thought you said that the review board has to do it within 90 days. But they, yeah, they do it within 90 days, but then they're under the decision authority of the review board. Oh, so I do see, I see. Every year. I, sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm with you catch. now. Good catch. It just, I, I wasn't, I didn't see the difference. I get it now. Okay. So that was the big government study. That was the meaty one. That is big. Yeah. It, they did so many really cool comparisons against like, oh, NCR had these preferences and then these different diagnoses had this, these preferences and these different crime types and whatever. Like they compared it every single fucking way that you could. And I really love that. It is really interesting. And I, I don't know if you can start asking these sorts of questions, but like 
like the saying, like, for example, the NCR prefers these types of crime versus this other type of crime. Why is that? Is that because people with a mental disorder are more likely to commit this type of crime? Or is that people being accused of this type of crime are, are more, more likely, likely to seek NCR? That's like, what I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's both. And I was actually looking at that, too, like wondering um, how it compares to current cases yeah. in the criminal justice system. So that's where that graph came in, where it compares to current cases. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Just curious. Um, I suppose that's why you gathered the data, right? Let, let, let's figure see. it all out and then we'll start talking about whys and hows and shit like that. Yeah. And I also, I fell down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I kind of want, I wanted to cover this in this episode, but it's already, you guys noticed, so big and nebulous and there's yeah. already so much to talk about. But I wanted to talk about um, mental health and criminality. Like, so for example, schizophrenia and criminality seem to be like inexplicably linked. Why? What is it about schizophrenia that makes people well i have um we've wanted to do another pathology episode and talk about schizophrenia for a while yeah we could maybe um like focus a whole episode on schizophrenia and touch on that but like we could do so for all of these other disorders that are seeming to be a more like a higher make up a higher percentage of ncr Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that would be very cool Um, But yeah, we didn't get to dive down that. But if you guys have a chance to check out Dr. Ann Crocker's work, um, there's also another doctor involved in the second um, piece of research that I found. And I don't have his name, but I will link them in the show description um, because I like to give credit where credit is due. Anyway, so the second study, it's more modern and it's called the National Trajectory Project. Uh, It was run by the Mental Health Commission of Canada, and it's actually still ongoing. Hmm. Um, So it was a study that started May 2000, I think. Um, But I wrote here May 200. Yeah, I really liked that. Yeah. I'm assuming it's 2000, but good job, Marta. Could have been, like, been going on for thousands of years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Canada didn't even exist, but we were running running studies already. Um, What's nice is that this is a longitudinal study. So they went until April 2005 and they followed the people. So if somebody was found NCR in 2005, then they followed them until 2008. So they followed them for three years. And this gives us really good information Mm -hmm. about recidivism. Recidivism is the... um, is reoffending yeah, after your like release. likelihood to reoffend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also created a beautiful infographic. So you can tell that this was not like maybe they had government funding, but it was actually like different people. Like it wasn't like the uh, human justice, human rights people being like shaking their fingers like you need to give us better data. It's actually just like we want to know more and we're academics and we want things to look pretty. So nice. There's a nice infographic which I nerded out about for five minutes into your guys' ears about. Um, so the National Trajectory Project, when you look at the research about it online, they actually published numerous numerous times. So it's a project, but they have like many, I guess, like studies or like subsets of studies going on within it. It's ongoing. So here I have the date. Um, it was a 2015 study of individual individuals declared NCR in Ontario, BC and Quebec. They looked at data from cases from May 200, mm-hmm. 2000. <laughs> In April 2005, they revealed facts about the NCR population, most notably that uh, crimes committed are not violent or against strangers. So, like, completely different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is they added the different aspect, like, who these crimes are committed against. Yeah, that's something that the other study did not. Yeah. And the infographic um, points that out as well. That's interesting. Yeah. So, this study, and I don't know why there's a discrepancy and... I don't know if you look if you read like a CBC article about it or the national or the global whatever then they're reporting on this study nobody's using the review board one. Oh, okay um, the review board one I can't even remember how I found it but it's like on the criminal justice like Department of Justice yeah. website um, anyway so 9% of NCR cases are serious violent crime remaining 91 consist of assault threat property offense other and then weapons and those are in descending order well but I wonder assault yeah assault and weapons and threat like all of that could be considered violent and could have been considered violent in the previous study yeah, yeah. So, it's, so it's interesting to note exactly that like why it's like a classification thing 
That's why it's different. Maybe. Um, NCR offenders are much less likely than criminal justice offenders to commit another crime. So recidivism. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Recidivism. So uh, likely likeliness to reoffend in general prison population after three years of being released is 34%. But in NCR population, it's exactly half that. 17%. 17%. No, you know, if that makes sense. For it to be a legit NCR, that does actually kind of make yeah. a lot. That's reassuring Yeah, on the whole myth of NCR. That's yeah. quite reassuring. Yeah. And also, this is... So, yeah, it's because it's NCR, these people, it's like kind of a one-time act. But even if it isn't a one-time act, these people get much better care. Yeah. And much better rehabilitation. Yeah. Like, they have a review board. Well, maybe they have actual rehabilitation exactly. instead of just... Getting locked up. Yeah. Yeah. They have a review board that meets with them once a year to make sure that their treatment is working. So, like, Canada is doing something good for their the mental health population. That's, that's reassuring. That's good. It sucks that we're not doing this for the rest of our Oh, I know. But um, we've got... We've got something. Yeah. So, there's that. And that's an argument for, you know, those, like deluxe prisons like in Scandinavia where they get to like live in an apartment Mm -hmm. and have knives and stuff like that that looks nicer than my dorm room in college yeah 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 Yeah. so it's an argument for you know better rehabilitation actually helps lower recidivism um and this is so Dr. Crocker mentioned that they receive forensic care while in custody including a whole range of treatment and interventions and so this addresses the mental health needs which is important but it also addresses the criminogenic issues so the things that made them criminal in the first place which could easily be applied to our prison population i think that's the first time i've ever heard that word before it's the first time i've ever said it criminogenic wow i mean it was a direct copy paste no good word but earlier i also wrote the year 200 twice (laughs) (laughs) well you're not getting a you're not getting a spelling mistake red line on this one so (laughs) perfect thank you um what's also interesting about the recidivism rates is serious violent reoffense is as low as 0.6 percent after three years wow of the crimes that are being committed by the people who have been released only 0.6 percent is another violent violent. wow yeah so this is super super low down from the nine percent of total crimes being violent only 0.6 end up being violent reoffenses 31 percent of individuals um, who have NCR have a substance use disorder. So it doesn't mean that this is their only thing, but it's part of their thing. Um, and they were under the influence of alcohol or drugs at the time of offense in 25% of cases. Um, but this is interesting to me because do you guys remember what I said in the law episode about how if you're under the influence, that doesn't count mm-hmm. as something that makes you not criminally responsible? Yeah, and it's also making me think about what if... So, like, if you're a drunk driver... Are you? Can you use not criminally responsible for drinking and driving? Mm, but I you don't couldn't. Know. I don't know. I don't think so. No. But like y- yeah. Like okay. So if it's self-inflicted, but like maybe if you're like actually an alcoholic and not just a drunk driver, it's maybe different. that would be different. Yeah. Okay. But honestly, I have no idea, and I didn't get a chance to look more into it. And I mean, like, we're already past the hour mark. Yeah. So. Sorry. Sorry. No. No. It's don't not, mean to tangent. Not your bad. Um, and then here's a fucked up stat: the these crimes could be very pre- preventable. So there's, let's say, there's a hundred people that are um, deemed NCR in mm-hmm. Ontario each month. Seventy-two percent of NCR individuals have had at least one psychiatric hospitalization before offense. And that's just like that mother yep. who sought help. Yep. And that guy on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. So this suggests that offenses are not entirely unforeseeable. Like, they could be preventable. These people are slipping through the cracks. Yeah. That that other case that I mentioned that I can't remember now, the guy out west who um, had killed his family, it was another situation where he was showing signs for a long time he had been working with a with a doctor he had been given medicine his not everyone in his family was on the same page about his medical treatment and like days later that yeah. was the outcome he had like killed his entire family well that actually ties me into my next and final point oh. is the link to the victim so who these crimes are committed against 
34% are against family, and that's the largest percentage. The rest are pretty even split across stranger, other known person who's non-family, and then just a professional in general. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Like a doctor or like, uh, okay. Or RCMP officer. Wow. Um, Yeah, so that's 20 to 23% isn't like across stranger known person known other known person and professional like per category and then the rest is 34 percent family huge yeah so um that's that's mental health and crime and ncr in canada and those are the two meaty meaty studies that i got very excited about that was huge marta that was so thick i can't believe you got through all of that well i can't believe you guys are still around listening (laughs) I've locked, Hopefully you're all still around listening. <laughs> I've locked Megan in my car, so we she Am can't I leave me. In, actually? No. Oh, okay. Ah ha ha. Oh okay. <laughs> Not that I'm like, you know, nervous of small spaces or anything like that. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> let me out. Um, <laughs> let me out. <laughs> thank you. That was heavy. I can't believe you got through all of that. Huh. Truly, that that was awesome. Um, I hope everyone uh, at home or in your car or wherever you are. I hope wherever you're listening you enjoyed it or at least learned something and if you did have a chance to take any notes or you know hear something that you had questions about and and wanted to ask or you know anything at all give us a shout you know where to reach us we're who knew we didn't everywhere gmail facebook twitter uh instagram uh patreon uh anywhere give us a holler we'd love to hear from you and uh of course as always thank you so much for listening I just have a, just right before you quit, um, if you guys are still listening, let us know how you feel about the way we give stats, or at least let me know how you guys feel about us nerding out about like numbers and stats. Like, do you want that? Do you not want that? Do you want it presented differently? Is it too dry? I just like, yeah, I want to know. Cause I know that I get very excited about this stuff, but it's a very nerdy subject. So yeah. I, I like stats of course, but I do walls of stats are difficult for me it's why i so like charts is, and graphs and things that break it down visually for me yeah. i hear that yeah. yeah so yeah let us know yeah let us sorry know. sorry no, to interrupt. No. don't be sorry at all <laughs> good interruption um yeah give us a holler we'd love to hear from you thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you in a couple weeks okay bye bye